and uh, embedded in here is the answer to one of last night's quiz questions. <laughs> Jesus calls his first disciples. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. But he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the, shore, on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Learn about Dr. Luke's health check. Um, I'm a great fan of Dame Julie Andrews. And for those who don't know who she is, uh, she was in a, a very famous film uh, that's now in theatre called The Sound of Music. And uh, she was telling a story recently about uh, the family, the Von Truck family, that she was um, playing uh, the, the carer of, the nanny of, if you like. And it was fascinating hearing her tell the story. There's a scene uh, where they're in a large dinghy, a boat, and uh, she's standing there by the riverside and she has to fall out with all the children. And she's told by one of the directors, there are about sort of eight children there, oh, this little one here can't swim. And so when you go in, could you go and get her quickly? And, uh, and she was telling the story that she was supposed to fall forwards, but she fell backwards. And uh, she sort of swam as quickly as she could to recover this kind of child that was flailing in the water and uh, managed to get her to safety and it just reminded me of wow that would not be allowed today um, that would certainly not go on in any school swimming lessons and we have a similar story here in one way of a boat and I love boats um, I think boats are great um, and Luke wants to grab our attention here this morning. He wants to share with us, each of us here, to be invited to renew our followership of the Master, of the Maker and Creator and Redeemer 
of the universe. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Christ. And he came from Nazareth. And Luke really records for us three extraordinary years of impact and ministry. In those three years, Jesus changed the world. His life still impacts our social society, our laws today in this land. He transforms lives. I know because he heals the brokenhearted. It says in Isaiah, a flickering flame he will not snuff out. He forgives the sinner. And Jesus is not interested in the symptom of sins or whether you lie or whether you lust, whether we're greedy or whether we're godless. Sin, sin is the rejection of God. That's what sin is. It's saying, I'm going my way. And God, you can go on the highway. That's the ultimate sin of placing idols, other things, in God's place. Whether it's people, whether it's power, whether it's pleasure, above the call to follow Christ. That is what sin is. And he gives hope to the dying. He said on the cross to his neighbor next to him, you will be with me in heaven. We are those called for a purpose and a journey and a destination. So Luke's gospel is a gospel for the believer. John's gospel is a gospel for the seeker. And Luke wants to capture our thinking and our feelings. He wants to harness our thoughts to be disciplined in our lives to glorify Jesus. So the question Luke would put to me and you this morning, at the beginning of this week, how are we going to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? And one of the impressive things we see uh, in chapter 4, the preceding chapter we're looking at, is how Jesus walked the talk. He healed and restored people. He cared for them. He earned the right to preach about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God in our times, and built his character on God's divine love. He was self-giving. He offers us everlasting joy. And so in Jesus, uh, in chapter 4, went to a solitary place, it's recorded. He'd been with all the crowds and he needed time out for the one-to-one relationship with God, which we all need. We need that power we talked about earlier, the power of his love to infuse our lives afresh. And he went to a solitary place and guess what? The people followed him. They were thirsty for good news. So Luke, in the way he tells the story, is intentionally turning a miracle of a catch of fish into a parable about catching people for the kingdom of God. We are in that business, the kingdom of God, of bringing people into the kingdom of God from the north and the south and the east and the west of this globe. In other words, Jesus was not merely teaching the word of God as he sat in the boat in verse 1. He was showing something, something by his actions and words about how he means for his followers to win men and women to faith. And Jesus had power. 
He had authority. And multitudes of people were captivated around him. And so I want to briefly look at four things this morning from this text. And the first is, Jesus taught the word of God. And we read that in verse 1, that they were crowding round him and listening to the word of God. And that's really important because Luke makes explicitly clear what Jesus had brought to this moment of people fishing. He brought them the truth, the word of God. If we dare risk the analogy, this was his bait for people fishing. They were in a lake where you go fishing, but Jesus wanted to talk about a higher goal, about his kingdom for all people. There are no first and second class citizens in his kingdom. It's a kingdom open to all, no matter where you're born, who you are, or what you do. And they were swarming to hear the word of God, to hear some of the message of truth that satisfies the soul. And the word of God in the Bible is the greatest word there is. The word of God is not just some little jingle to manipulate customer's satisfaction to buy a product. God literally has words for us today. And you may be facing something in your family or in your work situation or even your very life. And God has a word for you, a word to strengthen you. It may be from Matthew 28. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the promise of the risen Christ to us this morning. And it's a great word. It's transformational. It's a personal word. That's why we need to read the scriptures frequently, regularly. That's why we need to study the Bible together. And this Bible changes us. It changes how we respond to people, how we see situations in our world. And even when we think about all that's going on politically in our country, this word speaks of a higher future, a longer future, a deeper future. And we need to hold on to that, that we are here as God's people with a purpose and we have one foot in the world and one foot in our future destination. So how's your spiritual diet going? Maybe you're not having enough roughage, as my mother used to say to me, in your diet. And what I mean by that is sometimes we just dip into the parts of the Bible that are comfortable, that aren't confrontational that don't challenge us. And we need spiritual roughage to strengthen us because what goes in, dare I say, comes out. And we won't go into that. But um, it's really important that we understand if we're spiritually weak and unstable and we're susceptible to too many doubts, well, are we actually having a spiritual diet that is nourishing us properly? And we are learners of Christ. Never forget the day I got ordained. I wore an L plate around my neck. 
and I should be wearing one now today because we are all learners of Christ. That's what disciple, follower means. We learn from Christ through the Bible. And this seems to be the way of St. Paul, uh, what he said uh, of Jesus uh, in Acts chapter 19. Again, Luke said that Paul reasoned daily in the hall of Tyrannus. He taught daily. And we need to be those who are ready for the great issues of our age by being nourished, by strengthening our minds to have the mind of Christ, our hearts to be sensitive to the love of Christ. Paul reasoned in Tyrannus for two years. Two years he spent with the residents of the world of Asia. And they heard the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. So friends, let's take seriously the word of God. What is God's word for you? I keep saying this, and it's been wonderful to have feedback from you where you've said, ah, this text is for me. This is a life text, or this is a 2019 text. Well, I want to encourage you. What is God's word for you for 2020? What is God's word for us as we go into the future? We need to be forward-facing as a people of God, not backward-facing or inward-facing. Secondly, from this text in Luke chapter 5, we obey the commands of Jesus. When Jesus told Simon in verse 4 to push out into the deep, he's in this dinghy, And Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. You know how that feels, don't you? When you think, oh no, do I really have to go and do this? I've had a long day. Do I have to put out the rubbish? Do I have to go and make that phone call? Do I have to go and meet that person? And Peter bless him, is demonstrating human reasoning. He's the fisherman. He's the expert. There is no fish on this side of the dinghy, of the boat. We've tried doing it our way, and we caught nothing. And often, we don't hear much, do we, about Christians being obedient in this day and age. And disobedience perhaps concocts an image of naughty children not following parental advice. Uh, I refer once again to this book um, called The Greatest Generation. It's written by an American about the Second World War generation, which is true um, of the people of these islands and others in what was the empire, a very great generation who knew duty, who knew sacrifice and service, and they were obedient to serve when they didn't want to serve, when they didn't want to go, when they didn't want to lose their lives, risk their lives, leave their families. And the challenge for the millennial generation, and that's the sort of late teens, 20s, And it's a great generation that is emerging, friends, through the millennial generation. They're passionate about social justice and and the environment and people. But they have a weakness, which is about staying the course, giving up too quickly, what I call stickability. 
And we need to encourage them to keep focus and not to give up. And Luke is reminding us of Jesus' call here, of us all, that we are in the people-fishing business. Peter was reluctantly obedient. He was all fished out. He'd been fishing all night. But you know what we learn from this passage, friends? Jesus will take obedience, whether it's joyful or half-hearted. I love that. So we can be reluctantly obedient. And for those who are kind of, you know, the more laggard end of the scale, this is good news for us. In Hebrews 10, verse 22, Jesus, in his word, reminds us, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. We need to be obedient to the faith. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We need to be obedient to hope. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love. I need you. You need each other to spur one another on. It's tough out there in 21st century life. It can be bruising in all sorts of ways, in work, in neighborhood, in life. Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. I heard this story of obedience. A mother amongst her family announced that in future there will be a prize every Saturday for a member of the family who had been the most obedient. Mm-hmm. Oh, but mummy, said Amory, that's not fair. Daddy would win every time. <coughs> there are two words to obedience that we need to have on the hallmark of our homes. It is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's say that together. Yes, Lord. We're going to say yes. Thirdly, we need to humble ourselves. When Peter and the others saw the huge catch of fish Jesus had given them, the way he'd used them to gather the fish in spite of their half-hearted obedience, in verse 8, Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' feet. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Oh, how we need to see this in our day and age and experience it. The Lord Jesus has this effect on us that wants us to bow down. We're not worthy to be in his company. When we realize what we've done, he's done for us on the cross. When we realize the sacrifice, the pain, the disconnection with his father, we discover a love of another kind. And Peter looked at this grace, pure grace, and felt unworthy and said so. And that's a really great place to start sharing faith. Grace, God's unmerited love. Grace is beautiful, it's attractive, because it's generous, it's loving, it's kind. The great American evangelist who worked with Charles Wesley, sorry, John Wesley, in his book, The Religious Affection, 
especially the chapter on evangelical humiliation. He writes this, A truly Christian love, either to God or men, is a humble, broken-hearted love. The desire of the saints, however earnest, are humble desires. Their hope is a humble hope, and their joy, even when it is unspeakable and full of glory, is a humble, broken-hearted joy and leaves the Christian more poor in spirit, more like a little child, and more disposed to a universal lowliness of behavior. What Jonathan Edwards is saying is when we encounter the risen Christ in his magnificence, we feel loved, but we're like a child. Humility in leadership is incredibly powerful. Humility is serving others. And our posture and our pose speaks volumes of knowing our value in Christ. We don't have anything to prove to one another, but we need to be serving others, not thinking of ourselves greater, but actually we're our sister and brother's keeper. And that's our mindset of humility. We're here for the other. That's what William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the church is the only organization that exists for others. (laughs) Extraordinary. Well, we're nearly there. Fourthly and finally, treasure Christ above all. In verse 10, Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. Jesus takes the paralyzing fear out of his humility and leaves it in a lion-hearted meekness. Peter is strong, but not in arrogance, but actually in the beauty of bold brokenness. Peter and James and John responded with hearts overflowing with knowing Jesus. When they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. What do we need to let go of that has become an idol in the place of Jesus? This is what it means to follow Jesus. He is more valuable than anything else. Any of our children, any of our partners, any of our homes or acquisitions, he is above everything. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians, I count everything as loss compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. How will we treasure Christ this week? In our loving others, listening, foregoing our preferences, overlooking the shortcomings of family and friends. How will Jesus be foremost in our lives? So my prayer for us always, may the power and authority of Jesus Christ move multitudes of people into the eternal kingdom of blessings because of you, his disciples here. You who will live the word of God. You who will obey the commands of God. You who humble yourselves and treasure Christ above all. In the gardens of Gloucester Cathedral, there's a sundial with the wisest of inscriptions. It says, Give God thy heart. 
Give God thy service. Give God thy gold. Be sure to do this and live boldly. Live adventurously, my friends. Live courageously for Jesus to step out this week to serve and speak of Jesus. This is what Dr. Luke dares of us this day. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to sing our final hymn. It's 513.